Brought to you by JMR Rentals, professional digital cinema and broadcast equipment rentals in Brooklyn, New York. JMRNY.com. Hello and welcome to No Rest of the Weekend. I'm Jason Godby and joining me via Zoom today, you know him from his numerous television and film roles, including The Blacklist, Couple of Guys, and Slapface, Mr. Lucas Hassel. Welcome, Lucas. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here and well done for saying my name correctly. Thanks, man. It's great to have you. Uh, like uh, we were saying before we rolled, you've been mentioned on the show a couple of times. Uh, both Deborah Markowitz uh, mentioned you recently. And then uh, even more recently than that, uh, Jeremiah Kipp uh, talked to us when he was talking about Slapface about you. And that, that, I think, is a really interesting thing to talk about. So I want to talk about that with you. Sure. But first, I want to talk to you about you. So um, how did you get started uh, with filmmaking and acting? What is your origin story? Well, I guess my origin story is I had a very, you know, like many of us, a creative uh, elementary school teacher who was into theater, uh, putting on pieces with all the kids, and we played multiple parts. So ever since I was a kid, I had an interest in sort of the creative side of things. And uh, when I was finishing high school, uh, there was a well-known writer in Denmark, where I'm from, who happened to come see our high school play and came backstage and said, you know, I think you should think about maybe taking acting seriously. And up until that point, I really hadn't. Um, but uh, started taking some private lessons while I was finishing high school. And after my senior year, I applied to get into Trinity College in Dublin, Ireland, who had a very good sort of theater school. Flew over to audition and got in. Uh, didn't dare turn it down in case I was never gonna be accepted to another theater school anywhere else. So. Four months uh, later, I ended up living in Ireland for eight years doing theater after my degree. And then I moved to New York in 96 to pursue more sort of film and TV. We talked a little bit about you with a couple of guys, which is an interesting uh, television project. I know that you were also on the blacklist recently. And then uh, Jeremiah mentioned you uh, with uh, Slapface. And I just thought it was interesting because um, you're like the monster and slap slap face <laughs> yeah. and he's like you, you know he's like he's like a tall handsome guy but he wanted to play the monster <laughs> so i wanted to kind of talk to you about those two parts let's talk about uh slap face first how did you um how did you kind of approach that role i know that he started early with you like you started reading the script with him and stuff so to, to just go back to what you mentioned at the top where i'm in sort of you know a, a tv series developed by deborah and then i'm in the blacklist on network tv and then i'm in slap face this indie feature with jeremiah kipp I mean, as an actor, we're always just looking for the most interesting, most layered roles, right? And so different things have different um, pros and cons. I'm always looking for people who are passionate about their projects. And so routes take a different way in this business. Uh, working with someone like Jeremiah uh, is just an, an incredible gift for, for an actor like me, because once you establish a relationship with someone as prolific and as talented as he is, um, he uses you again and again. You know, we have a great working relationship. Uh, I was in an early short film of his. I was in a feature that he was an AD on, actually. And that's how we sort of really started to forge a connection. Um, and then I was in on the early readings of Slapface and the various iterations that it had because we were both in the same writing group. 
we both would bring in screenplays where you listen to each other's, uh, you know, sort of uh, words on the script and you get notes and feedback. And so I was in early on with his various pieces of work. And at the early reading, I remember he asked me to read the, the monster character. Uh, I know I, I was reading the narrations because uh, the monster doesn't speak. So I'm reading the narrations and I just got a sense for this, this character. I just, I'm always cast as like, uh, well, the villain as it turns out a lot, but a lot of it is based on the appearance that I have uh, for good or for bad. And I, in this case, I thought how interesting it would be to play a character where I would have a different exterior to what I'm used to and then figure out what would someone like that, um, what would dictate how someone like the behaved? You know, in this case, it was uh, very different to my own uh, life. So I was very thrilled that he kept it in mind. So when he got the funding for the short, he offered me the, the part as the uh, female monster. And uh, that's a real challenge to get into that mindset. I loved it. What was it about playing that sort of hidden, nonverbal? Because I mean, uh, you know, no offense, but actors like to talk a lot usually. <laughs> Like, yeah. you know, most, Point most, hand, my yeah. last segment, right. So like, you know, what was it kind of about that in, in terms of, um, playing that role that, you know, didn't, wasn't going to show your face and wasn't going to, you weren't going to talk. Like, was that something that you kind of hadn't done before and you thought. Yeah, I had done, I'd done sort of roles with some CGI makeup before, but it was basically the complexities of a character that doesn't speak, I think was a challenge to get across the screen without emoting or without sign language, right? It was a matter of figuring out how can you convey things very subtly and yet uh, succinctly. Um, in the short film, my CGI makeup was a little stiffer, so I would say I couldn't do as much. So one of the things I talked with Jeremiah about for the feature was to make it more sort of latex based more so basically so I could use my face more so I had a little more a few more options and that's exactly what happened um, but then with someone like Jeremiah who's a real actress director you sort of get to dive into the layers and you figure out where are the points where this character hits obstacles that can really change the trajectory of how this character moves forward and so you bite into those moments and it's delicious to figure out how do I show a lot with a little. I imagine for something like Couple of Guys, it's complete opposite. Yes, exactly. A Couple of Guys was something completely different. It was basically a, a situation where Deborah came to me with a role of basically two guys to get second chances very late in life. So it's about sexuality reaching um, an acceptance to one's sexuality. In this case, uh, the other gentleman in the piece played by Sal Rondino comes out very late in life. He's been married, he's had kids, been married to a woman, and then discovers his homosexual uh, real identity. I play a character who's known all my life, but sort of I'm at a stage in life where I thought, love is over, I'm not going to meet anybody else, it's fine. I'll go out and grind her occasionally and get what I need, but love is done. And then these two guys meet, and a couple of guys, as it's, as it's called, and we have a second chance at love in life. And so I just think it's a really beautiful, different take on sort of mature love, which we don't see a lot of. You have a lot of coming up ages of sort of teenagers finding themselves, but someone finding himself late on in life is really quite beautiful and, and rare. We see that on screen. I know that Deborah had some consultants and things like that for that piece. What, I mean, was that like something you had to research or? Did no, no. You... So I'm a gay actor myself, right? So I, I was very happy to come on board um, to sort of be the 
the gay voice in this particular piece. So I, I have a credit on the script as script consultant because I felt I could add some authenticity to language or to and try to get rid of stereotypes in there or try to get rid of things that um, that I felt just wasn't quite uh, appropriate for our community. Not that that Deborah is an amazing writer. I could just add a, a little bit more depth to some of those things. And so I think where we ended up is just a beautiful, um, clear love story uh, between two men. I was actually just talking about this with somebody the other day. And it's very rare. Like I, I remember I read someplace and it really kind of rang home with me. There was this thing about straight actors playing gay and they called it like a subliminal wink that they did huh. to the audience to kind huh. of let the audience know um, that, you know, I'm just playing this. Mm. And I remember when I saw uh, Hugh Jackman and Boy From Oz and I was like, oh my God, Wolverine's gay. Like, <laughs> it just kind of, <laughs> like, I mean, he was so good in that part because right, there wasn't right. that. And, I, and right. I didn't realize that's what it was. Right. So, I mean, have you encountered that? And like, how do you kind mm -hmm. of, if you're playing with somebody, uh, you know, and, and you're, you know, is that something that you can help them overcome or is that something you, you've seen kind of thing? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting topic. I mean, I remember recently there was a lot of uh, ado about Benedict Cumberbatch playing a potentially homosexual uh, cowboy on The Power of the Dog. And just today there's all this news about Sam Elliott saying that the Western is nonsense because it's full of homosexual innuendos. So whatever, Sam Elliott, I'm telling you. Uh, but I remember Benedict Cumberbatch saying in an interview that last he checked, you don't have access to anybody's sort of mind and personal thoughts, right? So he didn't distinctly come out and say that he had had homosexual thoughts whenever, whatever, but like, why would he have to declare that? He li he's living a straight lifestyle, but I guess all of us have colors in all kinds of ways, right? So I totally buy into that, that al although he identifies as straight, who knows where he thought his thoughts wander from time to time. Um, so, you know, whether that makes him 97% straight, he can still tap into what love means to him and so forth. So I don't particularly buy into this model of, well, I wouldn't have a job if I did uh, a sort of playing your sexuality. You can only pick characters that do that because 99% of my characters are, are straight, uh, supposedly, right? This is actually the first sort of gay character I've been cast in, oddly enough. Um, so, you know, I think when a story is all about falling in love uh you know i i don't think there's anything more universal than that and why would someone um just because of the sex part of it not understand how that feels um so you know i think there's a lot to be said for pushing the boundaries towards sort of political correctness and to make sure everyone is being heard um and in this case i just think it's important to remember that love is love regarding of what regardless of what your sexuality is so I wouldn't particularly, I wouldn't take uh, take issue with that. As long as they avoid sort of stereotypes in the writing, uh, then I think it's great. I've been very kind of uh, cautious about this thing where, you know, only this type of person can play this type of part. And, you know, I just, I mean, like, listen, I know where you're coming from, but it's called acting, man. Like, exactly. you know, you know th this is this is what actors do. This is what this is what they get paid to do. And this is what they study. And why would you just want to play you all the time? Like it's that kind of moment that makes you want to, you know, bang your head against the wall, but. Right. Well, it undermines, I mean, it undermines the skill set that we're meant to have, which is our skill set is to put ourselves into other people's situations. You know, I would play a serial killer gladly. I played a killer on the blacklist on TV and I'm not a killer by day or by night. Uh, and I still, I can put my mind into that space. Right. So, 
exactly where is the line? I mean, I absolutely respect, um, particularly for say, uh, the trans community being underrepresented and so forth, so, or the African-American community being underrepresented. So I've, I'm very happy there's a lot of light in those areas and I feel we need to respect those. And then there are the flip side of trying to hold on to what we do as actors, and that is to play characters written for us. Yeah, it, it's, it can be a bit of a fine line, especially when Twitter's involved. But, um, you know, the other thing I think that's interesting about you in particular is that you're, um, you know, you, you've done, like we said, we talk, you did like a network TV show. Sure. And I can't think of anything. It's sort of like like corporate television almost, like big <laughs> network. And, you know, you're on, it's, it's sort of old school TV. Um, and it, and it, and there's a system that works right. with the system and the writing. It's almost like a paramilitary structure, sure. you Absolutely. know? Um, but then you've also done these, like an indie series and an indie film. Right. And I was, I always ask people, what was the difference in experience for you going from, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, a day of work, uh, on the blacklist as opposed to, you know, a small series, like couple of guys or, or slap face. Well, it's kind of, you know, the best of both worlds is to be able to work in both. That's what we would all like. I mean, I think there's something incredibly beautiful about working on a show like The Blacklist on NBC because you work with top professionals in the business. Um, everything is well considered. Everything is double, triple checked. And so when you get on set, it's just a beautiful machine that's running on a well-oiled track. Uh, whereas in indie, uh, you know, sometimes that's not the case, <laughs> is not a whale oil track, but it is probably a more collaborative scenario. Um, I explained it to a friend of mine the other day as like, if you imagine being on a, on a small fishing boat with your friends, that's sort of indie, right? You're on the fishing boat, you're over there, let's fish over by the trees over there and let's jump in, have a swim and let's go ashore over here and have lunch and let's sail off again this direction. Whereas being on the blacklist, you're sort of on a cruise liner and I'm in cabin three on the third floor and every now and then I get to go up on, on deck and have a lookout, but the cruise liner is going with or without me. And it's a beautiful cruise, but boy, um, they're not going to notice if I'm, if I'm not on board, right? So it's a little bit uh, that kind of world. Uh, network TV or whatever is not very collaborative. You know, I wouldn't arrive on set with a million demands or questions. I would sort of, you know, uh, stay focused, concentrated, don't lose confidence when there are 60 people looking at you right on the other side of the camera. And it's uh, it's a rush for time. Um, whereas in India, I would expect to have a say in the script. I would expect to have a sit down with the director and talk about my character. That's what justifies making less money. That's what justifies having a rougher experience. So both have values, of course. India is just much more collaborative, so a little more rewarding as an artist. But of course, Network TV uh, pays the bills and it's uh, working with incredibly talented people. And then it raises the profile for an actor like me, which makes it easier for me to get more interesting roles in the indie world. So everything is very connected that way. And for me, it's just important to have a leg in both. I think it's interesting. I mean, there's also, you know, probably there's the food's better. Uh, you know, <laughs> well, no, I've had a lot of indie yeah. filmmakers are very uh, eager to take good care of their cast. You yeah. know, it's like... Well, it's essential. Like, you know, people... Yeah. People, you you don't realize this, but you know if you're eating day old burritos for two weeks, you know, like it's like, you know you're gonna be yeah. you're not gonna be very happy working on it. Well, set. yeah, those film sets, thankfully, I'm I'm not a part of. That I call them the pizza bagel sets, where it's bagels every morning and it's pizza for dinner every night. 
those days are thankfully over. That's back in the student film days. Uh, the people I work with now have a little higher regard for their actors and definitely take good care of them. You definitely need both. I mean, you definitely need both to make a living. You, you know, you got to do your own work and you also, you know, you need the you need to pay the bills. And which brings me to my next thing about you is that you are also, and I think Jeremiah mentioned this too, you're also a filmmaker. You're also a director and a writer. Correct. Does that ever kind of, I mean... I feel like in today's world, um, everybody wants you to be like one thing and they, they feel like they want to, you know, sort of square peg, square hole kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Have you found any resistance to that? Or, you know, when you say, hey, I'm a writer or hey, I've directed or do they welcome that? Or has that been like something you've been able to use to get yourself more work? Like how does how's the relationship? Right. How do you sort of reconcile the two? Right. Well, it's a, it's an excellent question. And I think the answer is a little bit of both of what you mentioned, because, of course, one of the reasons I got into writing and directing in the first place is that as an actor, I'm always giving away my power to other people. I walk into a casting room and I'm doing my thing and I walk out crossing my fingers that hopefully I booked that role. Right. Writing is the first step in taking some of the power back, taking some of that creative power back that I constantly give away to others. And then Directing what I write is the ultimate power over my vision. So that is incredibly empowering. So once I realized that I was a good writer, it was just about leaning into that. And then I've honed my craft over the last 14, 15 years. And I think I'm a better writer now than I've ever been. I'm very pleased with where I'm at. Uh, as a filmmaker, it's basically about keeping that vision intact. I would love to direct all my own pieces. Um, but I'm relatively inexperienced as a filmmaker. I've done sort of three short films and I'm in the process of trying to get my feature underway. I have some good people uh, helping me make that happen. So let's see if I can get my first feature filming this this year. But, um, you know, other than that, I have met, met some difficulty being a sort of hybrid of these of these uh, formats, mainly from from uh, representation standpoints. I have an acting manager and, and an agent. And many people because I I won the Screencraft Fellowship, the Cine Story Fellowship, uh, have tried to get me writing uh, representation. And that's been really tricky because a lot of managers or agents for writers are looking to send you out to pitch for shows. They would send you a, an IP, a book or something, and then say, well, this production company is looking for five writers to pitch what they would do with this book. That's not the work I'm looking for. I'm not looking to replace my acting career with a writing career. I'm looking to enhance my acting career with the writing I do and directing what I write. So that's been tough for representation to take on because they're looking to make money, of course. And so uh, having someone come in saying, well, you're welcome to pitch my scripts, but I'm not looking to be hired in a room for a TV show, a writer's room, or I'm not looking to, uh, to pitch for studios about your book that I'm asked to adapt. Um, I write original screenplays and unfortunately, in today's uh, world, uh, original screenplays are, are not as much in demand as they used to be. A lot of the stuff produced out there is based on intellectual property, which, mean, which means adaptations. And that's just not what I'm interested in. So, um, and so that's the conundrum. So in, to answer your question, I have, I've experienced both sides of that coin. I wouldn't call it a failing of the industry, but I think in, in many ways as creators too, we're kind of expected to be, you know, like people look at me and they go, oh, you're the podcast guy. It's like, you know, I do all this other stuff too, you know, and I think we kind of underestimate people in that way. 
that's a very good point. And I think, I mean, I see it in my in, in, in acting roles I'm being offered, right? And of course, it's an avenue you go down. So on the blacklist, I'm a bad guy. And I've been cast as a bad guy in many things before. I'm a monster in, 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 in Jeremiah's film. I've been in you know, the Black Room and Natasha Henshridge. I play a crazy person and, and Art of the Dead with Tara Reid. I've been all kinds of bad guys. So once people see you as the bad guy, of course, well, they go, well, that's what he can do. Um, but then enter from the left, you know, people like Deborah Markovich, who knows me personally, privately, and she sees me as someone, a very normal guy in a couple of guys with a normal emotional life and is not out to kill people and uh, gives me a chance to act in a couple of guys, right? So you know, the more people you know behind the scenes, the, the more your casting opens up, of course. In terms of thing, things that you have planned for the future, things that you want to do, I mean, what you what it seems like you're talking about is kind of maybe 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 making your own independent films um, and trying to get the word out that way because you want to you want to direct and write, but you also want to act in these things. Um, were these vehicles for you, or are you just kind of like, oh, you know what? I wrote this. I could probably play that part as well. Well. I think in those cases, I mean, the, the short films I've done, I've also played uh, the, the leads in. And honestly speaking, it's just one less thing to worry about. Creating a film production is so much work. There are so many spinning plates you're trying to get together. Um, and knowing my own skill set and having written the scripts where I know exactly where my character is coming from and the tone that I'm looking for, that's not a problem. I'm not distracted by... Um, taking off my acting hat and putting on my director's hat on set. I'm very prepared for that. So to me, it's just a benefit that I know I, I'm able to do both. Um, but I mean, of course, there are challenges you have to be aware of. The tendency is when you direct yourself to just rush through it and focus on everybody else. You're like, oh, I don't want to take time for people to think I'm all about me. But it's a matter of finding that balance and making sure you also get the best performance out of yourself, uh, directing yourself. So it's just about, it's mainly about taking control back of the vision that I have. You know, sometimes as um, an actor, you, you work with people where you sometimes go, oh, I would have done that slightly differently, right? That's when I started to realize I could write or I could direct because I'd be on sets and be like, mm, you know what, I would have put the camera over there. And I wonder why I'm even saying this, right? So sometimes you can bring that up for discussion and they can change the lines or whatever, but a lot of the times you can't. Um, and so you end up being in productions where, strictly speaking, you're not entirely sure of what they're going to end up with and what they, how they edit it may not be the way you had it in mind either. So it's just about trying to be sort of loyal to what I feel is my sort of artistic integrity and do the best you can with that without being too, you know, taking myself too seriously about it. You know, a lot of the projects are just a lot of good fun working with fantastic creative people. And if the film turns out great, Wonderful. And if it doesn't, well, we made a go at it. You're not the first person to say that. A lot of people have said, you know, I just wanted to, to keep the story intact. I just wanted to. And, and it's also one less part that you have to worry about casting and Correct. finding the right actor for, which is, you know, that's hard. Like people don't realize how hard it is to try to find the right person. Absolutely. And if you've written it yourself, you're directing it, and you go, okay, well, I got that covered too. Yes. The trick is to not, I think, do too much where you're spreading yourself too thin and then things start to things start to slip because you know you're only one person and you only have so much time in the day kind of thing that's absolutely right but it's also i mean as you know speaking of spreading myself thin i also sort of edit and i like to color correct my own stuff as well if and when it was to happen that i'm you know have 
directing four feature films at the same time, I have one lined up after the other. Trust me, uh, I will not be doing that. But uh, for now, when I have the time and the luxury to take care of uh, up until this point, just short films, I absolutely want that control. I mean, I write with editing in mind. I write with a particular uh, vision in mind. Uh, so I'm not sure why I would want to give that up to somebody else. I mean, that's part of it. Editing is a huge part of it. So um, yeah, so spreading yourself thin, definitely on a feature, you have to make uh, you have to make some serious choices about what you're able to do, what you're not able to do. But the key is to surround yourself with with a great uh, crew that you know and trust, and then uh, really do a lot of pre-pro, like really make sure you're absolutely uh, prepared. I, I do um, little stick figure out you know, uh, storyboarding for anything I do just to be super prepared when I get to set. And then we can be flexible with the DP if he comes up with a different shot or think something isn't quite working, but I want to come to the table with the suggestions for sure. So we're not just trying to, um, to figure it out in the day. And I know a lot of people work differently. I think Jeremiah and Dominic Savili, one of the very talented DPs out there, they basically sort of figure out the shot once they get to the scene, they like that freshness of it and they figure it out together. Um, I'm just not as confident as, as they are in my directing skills. So, yeah, I, know. I mean, I've, I've been on both ends of that coin and it's, uh, it's tricky because, you know, especially yeah. when you have that, when, especially when you start getting the big crew, you're like, yeah. Oh, everybody's looking at me right now to make a decision. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. So the other thing I want, I'm going to wrap up shortly here, but is sure. there, do you have anything else you want to uh, talk about in terms of uh, upcoming projects, stuff you have coming out, stuff you well, can talk about maybe? I don't know what you, you have. Yeah, there are a few things I can talk about, but I can talk about the a few projects coming up. I, I just filmed a, a Western opposite Brandon Routh and, and uh, uh, directed by uh, Miles Klahesi, which is super cool. We filmed out in minus degrees in the middle of Montana. Uh, super hardcore but a ton of fun that's going to be uh that's look that's going to be distributed this year at some point uh, i'm about to shoot uh, a film which is a sequel to a successful sort of festival uh feature called live screen the sequel is called live screamers and we're going to film that in charleston in april with a super talented uh, young female director who i've had my eye on her for a long time um, so look out for that later on this year as well. So, um, yes, a lot of good projects happening, uh, currently. And then I'm trying, as I said, to get my own feature underway. So we are having meetings, uh, almost daily about that currently. And we'll, we'll see if we can make it a uh, bigger budget, which demands celebrity names. I'm not such a big fan of that or keep it smaller. And then we can cast a bunch of unknowns, um, that are very talented and just not worry so much about the bottom dollar. Very cool. So, uh, for people who want to follow you, know more about you, uh, possibly stalk you online. Where can they find you? <laughs> well, during COVID, I, I started doing reaction videos on YouTube, which is a weird uh, side result of COVID. So I have a YouTube channel under my name, Lucas Hassel. It has about 34,000 followers at this point, which is great. A lot of fun we're having with that. Uh, I'm on Instagram, Lucas Hassel, uh, with a K, one L in Hassel. Um, I'm on Facebook. I have a page there and stuff. So, and Twitter. Uh, so I'll be, I'll be out there. You can Google me and you'll find, uh, all kinds of avenues of finding me. That's great. Thank you so much for doing this. And, um, you know, if you, when you have stuff coming out, let us know, you know, and I will do you, it for sure. If you have another project, come on back and talk about uh, it. Thank you so much for having me. It has been really interesting. Thank you. Thanks, man. And that's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for taking this trip down the rabbit hole for more of our content, including our movie reviews. Visit our website, norestforthweekendpodcast.com. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And you can subscribe on YouTube. 
youtube.com slash getbehindtherabbit. I'd like to thank my guest, Lucas Hassel, and our sponsor, JMR Rentals. For Behind the Rabbit Productions, I'm Jason Godby. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.